0: Well, it is good to be back, um, as Pastor Scott said, and as many of you know, I was on sabbatical for a couple of months. I was gone for uh, October and November, and that was such a good time. It was filled with rest uh, and prayer and reflecting and family time and, of course, a lot of mountain biking, and it was just so sweet to have that time, and I so appreciate being able to have that time, uh, but it is good to be back. And I want to share with you this morning something that I was reminded of during my sabbatical. It's a very simple truth, but it's a truth that we can so easily forget as followers of Jesus. And so I was reminded of this truth while I was actually hanging out with my four-year-old son, Xander. He's in preschool, and I decided one day, this was back in October, that I just wanted to surprise him. Just so wanted to hang out with him, have some daddy-son time, and, and just do fun things. And so I picked him up after school one day, and we got in the car, and we drove downtown, and we went to Frozen Franny's. Because he has a sweet tooth, and he likes chocolate. And so we filled his cup with way too much chocolate frozen yogurt, and he ate that. And he ended up getting the brain freeze, and he's like looking at me like, what's going on? What is happening? Right? Like kids don't know what a brain freeze is yet. And we got done, and he had that infamous chocolate circle around his mouth that every little kid gets when they eat ice cream. And then after we filled our bellies, we decided to go on a walk. And so we ended up walking down to Granite Creek and then just following the trail that goes along the creek. And this is actually a picture of him because he's in this season of life where he loves to catch bugs, especially grasshoppers. And so this is actually a picture of him getting ready to, he's stalking a grasshopper here. And man, that day was so much fun because neither of us had a care in the world. And he was Daddy, there's a grasshopper. Go around there. And so he's instructing me on how to be quiet. Daddy, you're walking too loud. Shh, daddy, right here, right here. And man, we just had a blast. And we caught like 20-something grasshoppers. And it was just amazing. And then we're making our way down this trail. And Xander comes upon this pile of sticks. But we all know that a a four-year-old never sees a stick. They always see a baseball bat or a sword or a gun or a boomerang when they look at a stick. So he comes to this pile of weapons in his mind. And he reaches down and he pulls out this, not a stick, but a sword. And he hands it to me. He says, here you go, Daddy. Here's your sword, you're Captain Hook. And then he reaches back down into this pile and he pulls out a little dagger. And he says, this is my dagger. I'm Peter Pan. And I've learned that life is too short to ever turn down a stick fight. And so we battled and we fought And at first, I was winning, and then all of a sudden, Peter Pan knocks Captain Hook's sword into the creek, and Peter Pan wins. And man, we had a blast. It was like I was just a little kid again. I wasn't thinking about what was going to happen 10 minutes from now or what was going to happen tomorrow. We were just in that moment, and it was so sweet and so much fun. And then we caught a few more grasshoppers, walked back to the car, and drove home. And on the way home, I said, hey, Xander. What was your favorite part about today so far? Like, what did you enjoy the most? And I thought for sure he would say, catching grasshoppers, or beating you at swords, or eating frozen frannies. He's just silent for a minute, thinking. And he says, just being with you, Daddy. And that's what I did, too. Oh! And my wife will tell you, I'm not an emotional person at all. But I'm like, oh, that just like totally won me over. Like he just was so content being with me. He didn't care about the presents that I was giving him. He didn't care about the the sugary sweets or any of that. He was just so content in being in my presence, hanging out with daddy. And so it was in that moment that I was reminded of this very simple truth. It's actually our big idea for today, and it's this, that contentment comes from God's presence and not his presence. That CE and the TS make the biggest difference. And I know for the majority of us sitting in this room, this is not a new concept, We've heard this before. We've seen this before. We teach our kids this at Christmas time. Kids, it's not about the presents that are underneath the tree. It's about God's presence. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. Right? This is not something new to us, but it's something we so easily forget. And we just got done celebrating Christmas, and for many of us, our houses are filled with a lot of new toys, a lot of new gifts. And I think maybe for some of us, we asked for those gifts because maybe deep down inside we were thinking that they might bring us a level of contentment or a level of satisfaction that maybe we haven't experienced yet. And we're going to find out very soon, if we haven't found out already, that those things are going to leave us just as discontent as we were before because those things will never bring us contentment, will never bring us satisfaction And as 2018 gets ready to roll over into 2019, goals are going to be set and resolutions are going to be made. And I wonder if some of those are made because we're chasing after a level of contentment. A level of satisfaction that we haven't experienced. And if we think, if we just get to this level, if we just make this um, amount of money, or if we just get to this place, or move here, or do this, we'll be a little bit more satisfied. A little bit more content. Many of us have lived life long enough to realize that when we reach those goals, it's great for a minute. And then we're like, "Eh, it wasn't as great as I thought it was. And then we make another goal and chase that. And make another goal and chase that. You see, true soul contentment is found in the presence of God. And so that's my hope. That's where I want to take us today. And I want to study a psalm that so beautifully pictures what a content soul looks like. And this psalm will give us three steps that we can take to find that contentment in God alone. And so we're going to be reading Psalm 131, and I've actually invited my friend Kendall to come up and read this psalm. So Kendall, can you make your way up? And as she does, can you guys give her a round of applause? Now I'm going to ask you guys to join in by standing as we read this psalm together. Kendall will lead us in it. So Kendall, whenever you are ready, you can go ahead and start reading. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Beautiful. Could you give her another round of applause? Thank you so much. You guys can have a seat. I think it's so powerful when kids read scripture like that, so I pray you are blessed by that. I absolutely love this psalm, and it has changed the way that I come before God. And so, I just want to give you a little insight into what I've experienced over my sabbatical and being reminded of that truth through my son that contentment comes from God's presence. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this psalm. He says that it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And I couldn't agree with him more. And I have to confess that I don't have this all figured out. I don't know everything there is to know about being content in the Lord. So I'm I'm not standing up here as an expert by any means. I just want to share with you some insights, some things that I've learned, and the goodness that I've experienced in just coming before God with no agenda and just resting in His presence. And so we're going to talk about three steps to pursuing contentment in God's presence. And our first step, what David teaches us in this psalm, if we want to pursue contentment in God, is that we have to kill pride. Throughout scripture, we're told that God opposes the proud. And James 4 says God opposes the proud. He's against the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. All we have to do is go back to Genesis. See how pride destroyed the relationship between man and God. And what I love is that David kills pride on three levels. Look at what he says. He says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. He begins with the very center of his feelings, the center of his emotions, because he knows if pride is in my heart, it's gonna corrupt everything else. So he says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Not gonna walk around like that arrogant person that thinks they know everything. I'm not going to boast about my accomplishments and about my achievements. Lord, my heart is not lifted up. He begins killing the pride on a heart level. And then he moves to his eyes. And he says, my eyes are not raised too high. You know, the eyes are the expression of our hearts. Parents, have you ever had your kids who might be sitting next to you roll their eyes at you? You ever experienced that? Hey, little Tommy, clean your room. Hey, can I help you with this? I already know how to do it. right? It's an expression of the pride that's already deep down inside of our hearts. We've all done the eye roll before. David says, look, I'm not going to pretend like I'm way up here and everybody else is down here and look down on them. I'm not going to pretend like I know it all. And so he kills the pride beginning in his heart moving to his eyes and then he finally moves to the way that he lives out his life and he says i do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me some of your translations might say i do not concern myself with things too great and too marvelous for me and it's that hebrew word for occupy myself that actually means walk I do not conduct my lifestyle in such a way that I fill it with things that are just too great and too marvelous for me. You see, David understands the truth of Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine, when it says that the secret things belong to the Lord. David understands that at the end of the day, there are certain things about God that we just have to kind of shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know. He's the creator, and I'm the creation. I'm finite, and he's infinite. And there are just certain things where, I don't know, they're they're too great and they're they're too marvelous for me. And just like with that series we just got done with, I'm glad we serve a God that's too great for us, that we can marvel at. Because if, if it's a God that we can understand everything about, he's not a very big God, he's not very powerful. And David recognizes this, and so he kills pride at all of these different levels because he realizes how subtle pride can be. We can point out an arrogant person from a mile away. That type of pride is obvious, right? And we keep our distance from those people. But pride can be so subtle, and I love what John Piper says about pride. Look at this quote. He says, "Pride." is very subtle and cloaks itself with some remarkably weak-looking forms so that you will feel sorry for it and see how much it is suffering and how unrecognized this virtue is. And then he goes on to say, Be careful you don't just see pride in the arrogant. Again, that's easy to spot. He says, It's more often manifest in those who have nothing to be arrogant about and crave the attention and approval of others. Are there any people pleasers in the room? Right? Better than first service. First service, there was one person. And so I had to call them out and be like, there's a bunch of liars in here. Okay? There's a lot of people that struggle with, 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 with people wanting to like them, with that people pleasing. And we want, we want their validation. We want them to accept us. And that's, that's a very subtle form of pride because we want it to be about us. Can't live with ourselves if somebody doesn't like us. So we've got to do whatever we can so that they like us. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for this one, but I think we all might have somebody in our life that lives in that woe is me state where they just have this dark cloud that looms around them and nothing ever goes right. And you have a hard time hanging out with them because all they do is talk about how difficult their life is and how much they mess up. And, and it just goes on and on. And so often... That's a subtle form of pride. And they're looking for people to validate them. And they're looking for people to come alongside and be like, no, 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 we actually love you so much. Oh, you're great, you're great, you're great. And that's, that's inside of us this subtle form of pride that we just want people to, to, to acknowledge us. And I think David realizes how subtle pride can be, so he starts killing it at all of these different levels. But the question is, how do we go about killing pride? Because it's so easy to say, it's extremely difficult to actually do, but I think we can gain some insight into how we go about killing pride by going to this passage in First Peter, chapter 5. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. We begin killing pride by humbling ourselves, recognizing we're not as great as we might think we are. We're still messed up and we still need help. We humble ourselves by casting all of our anxieties and worries and fears on him. And you might be thinking, well, like anxieties and worries and fears, that's not really pride. But remember, pride is subtle. Sometimes pride can come out in the form of fear and worry because sometimes we try to exert our control on the situation through our fear and through our worry and we think we can play mind games with it you know like if we just think about this thing and we worry about it enough maybe somehow I can change it or, or if I think about this thing and I worry about it I'm actually like just prepping my heart for what's, what's going to come and that need for control stems from pride. And so we take those fears, those worries, those anxieties, those boastful, boastful statements, all, all that sin in our lives, and we cast it on Jesus because he cares for us. See, so we kill pride through continually surrendering over those things and wrestling down our sinful, prideful selves with the promises of God. And it's a battle and it's hard. And you might surrender something 10,000 times before you feel like you make an inch of progress. Sometimes it's that hard. But it is so worth it. And so we have to identify those areas of pride in our lives and begin surrendering them and casting them on Jesus, remembering this promise that he cares for us. And so we wrestle down our souls with the promises of God. We kill pride through surrender. That's step number one. Step number two, look at what David says in verse two. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. He emphasizes a choice that he made. And that's what we need to do too. Step number two for us is to choose to calm and quiet your soul. If you want to find contentment, In God's presence, choose to calm and quiet your soul. You see, we all have choices to make in regards to our soul. We can choose fear. We can choose anxiety. We can choose worry. We can choose those things. We can choose calmness. We can choose quiet. We can choose to surrender. David says, look, I've chosen to calm and quiet my soul. There's no more thrashing around. There's no more agitation. There's no more crying out. And then he paints this beautiful picture for us of what his soul was like. And this is my favorite part of this psalm. Look at what he says at the second part of verse two. He says, Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that picture. And Caleb, I know that you're a super smart dude, so I know that you know what this means. But just in case, Weaning, if you wean somebody off of something, what you do is you slowly remove something, or sometimes quickly remove something, from somebody's life until they realize that they don't need it anymore. You help them realize that they don't need to be dependent on that thing anymore. In a sense, they've graduated to a new level. Kids are weaned from their mother's milk onto solid food. It can be a painful, slow process. My wife and I are in the process of weaning our two-year-old off of a pacifier. <laughs> Sweet Lord, give us the strength to do this, because it has been the most difficult thing <laughs> ever. Because we weaned him off of milk. He got off formula like no problem, man. He wanted to eat that solid food right away. That, that wasn't an issue. The pacifier, though, Katie's way better at it than I am. Because my kryptonite is a crying baby. And we're about to have another one, so... But, you know, he cries for two seconds. I just put it back in his mouth. Like, I can't do this. And i like, Katie, I need help, right? It's a slow, painful process, but we both know as his parents that he has to move on at some point from that pacifier, especially if he wants to ever get married <laughs> because he will never make it past the first date if he's still sucking on one of these. Could you imagine that, right? He takes this girl out for to a fancy restaurant they eat this delicious meal he gets done he wipes his mouth he reaches in his pocket and pulls out this nasty tattered pacifier and pops it in his mouth and just starts sucking away you know <laughs> That girl is going to give him the eye roll and then he's going to be thinking, "Oh, I forgot to share. Here, you want to suckle?" And, you know, like he's got to move on at some point in his life. And as his parents, we realize that, but in his 2-year-old little brain, he's thinking, "My pacifier is gone. My world is ending. Mom, dad, you hate me. What are you doing?" And so often we need to be weaned off of things. In our lives, maybe they're not as obvious as a pacifier, but God weans us off of things too. And again, it's not a fun process, especially because so often the process that God uses to wean us off of things that we've become dependent on that He knows we shouldn't be dependent on, the process that He so often uses is trials and hardship. We don't like those things, because they're hard. They frustrate us. They don't feel good. But I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. Look at this quote that he says. He says, blessed are those afflictions, those hardships in life, which subdue our affections, the things that we long for, which wean us from self-sufficiency, and which educate us into Christian manliness which teach us to love God not merely when he comforts us, but even when he tries us. So blessed are those, those hard things in life that wean us from our prideful selves and which wean us from the things that we have become dependent on and which bring us closer into the presence of God and the comfort that only he can give us. Now I have to say something that's not easy to say and it might not be easy to hear. And I want to be careful in saying this because it does not apply to every difficult situation or every hardship. But it might apply to at least one person here, so I think it's worth saying. Because there might be somebody sitting in one of these seats today that is frustrated at God, that's mad at Him, and it might even hate him because he's not doing something that you think he should be doing right now. Or because he's removing something from your life that you think you need. And so you're mad at him. And I, and I get that. I understand that. But I, I want to encourage you and let you know that God is not pouring out his wrath on your life. Jesus took that wrath on the cross. But maybe, just maybe, God is lovingly reaching down into your life and pulling that pacifier out of your mouth. And he's trying to teach you that the thing that you have become dependent on really isn't needed in your life anymore. And he wants to bring you into his presence and teach you that he is enough. You see, I think David understood that the lap of God was meant to be to us a pillow and not a vending machine. Because so often we treat God like a vending machine and we come to Him only when we want something. And so we put in our dollar, like our prayer, and we push the buttons, and you know, we expect it to fall out. And when it doesn't fall out, we're like, What's going on? Doesn't God know what I need? Does He know what I want? And see, I think David understood that God was more than just a giver that he was a comforter. And so he says, man, my soul, oh, it is so content. It's like this weaned child that crawls up into his mother's lap not to get something, but just to simply be there with her, to feel her embrace and to get her kisses and to feel that affection and love. See, he's graduated He he doesn't have to crawl up into his mother's lap anymore to to get the milk that his mother once provided. He now crawls up into her lap just to be with her. He says, that's what my soul is like with God. It's like this weaned child. I just want to crawl up to, to be with him. And so that's what I've been trying to do ever since I was reminded of this truth through my son Xander. It's just coming to God with no agenda and hanging out with him. Putting my prayer requests and my needs and my wants to the side, just crawling up on his lap and hanging out with him. And it has been so good. And it has been life changing because what I've discovered is that the more I focus in on God and the more I love him, the more I dwell with him and find contentment in his presence the more I start to look at other people in a good way. And that's exactly what David does here. Look at, look at verse 3. I love this. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You know how this psalm started? If you go back up, it says, O Lord. Starts with O Lord, ends with O Israel, O people of God. Isn't it funny how when we're focused on God, our focus on people just comes naturally? I think maybe that's why Jesus said the greatest commandment was to first love God and then love people. And I've noticed in my own life, and I'm an introvert, okay? People are usually like, I'm like, I've had enough, right? But I've noticed that God is starting to change me and I'm starting to look at people more with more compassion and more love. It's, it's amazing how that happens when you just find true contentment in God. And so what David does is he invites people into this good experience that he had. And this is step number three for us. To pursue contentment in God is to invite others into your experience. Good things are meant to be shared. Think about this. When you go to a restaurant and you have just a fantastic experience... The service is great, and the food is good, and the atmosphere is just amazing. You jump on Yelp, and you leave a five-star review. You go, and you tell your friends and your families, hey, you guys, we got, you guys got to go here. Check this out. Next time we have a lunch, let's, let's do it here. This place is so good. Good things are meant to be shared. Some of you guys have uh, recipes for bread or for cinnamon rolls or for cookies that are so Good. That you bake like 50 loaves or 300 cookies and then you give them out to your friends and your neighbors. Why? Because you want to share the goodness. Good things are meant to be shared. We tend to hold on to those good things when we're selfish and prideful. But you see, David has killed the pride in his life. And so he invites people into the goodness that he experiences. And he realizes that God's lap is big enough for everybody and we will suffer no loss by inviting people into what we have. And so we invite people into this experience and our experience is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's a good thing that's meant to be shared. It's because of Jesus that for those of us who have placed our faith in him and who are following him that we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us that gives us the ability to to kill the pride and sin in our lives. Man, that is a good thing that's meant to be shared. It is because of Jesus that we have been given the right to become children of God and have access into the lap of God. That is a good thing that's meant to be shared. And it is because of Jesus that we have the cure Not to just the flu or the cold, bless you, but to eternal separation from the Lord. We have the good news of the hope of Jesus, that he lived that perfect life that we can never live, that he died a death that we deserve to pay the penalty for our sin, And then three days later, he rose from the grave, validating everything that he claimed about himself and proving that he really is the son of God. He says, anybody who trusts in me and places their faith in me, anybody who follows me, has been given new life. Man, that is some good news right there. And it is meant to be shared. We're supposed to invite people into our experience And if we're holding on to that, maybe we need to examine our hearts and ask ourselves if we really love God as much as we think we do. Or if we really think God is as good as we sing about on Sunday mornings. Because if he's really that good and if we really love him that much, we're going to be sharing him. And I don't mean to like say this to guilt anybody. Okay, I'm not saying, oh, you need to be a better evangelist or anything like that. Because so often we don't need another evangelism class. What we need to do is crawl up into the lap of God and be in his presence so much so that we are changed. And then when we step out of his lap and walk into the world, we just can't help because we've been so changed, we just can't help but share it with other people. I'm like, man, you guys got to, I know, I know, friend, that you have this heavy burden in your life, but I got to tell you about this Jesus. Mom, dad. I know that you're struggling right now and, and, and your marriage is, is literally hanging on by a thread, but I gotta tell you about the hope that can be found in Jesus. And good things are meant to be shared and so David invites people into his experience and we are to do the same. Now here's the thing about being content in God's presence. I know I gave you step one, two, three. But it is not as easy as step one, two, three. Because each one of these is extremely difficult. Just like Spurgeon said, it takes a lifetime to learn this psalm. But we can start taking steps in that direction and in finding contentment in God alone. And so I have some next steps for us. Things that we can do to apply this message and make it more than just words on a Sunday morning. So our first step is to identify the area or the areas, because some of us might have more than one in your life that you feel most self-sufficient and unneedful of God. So where's that area in your life where you feel like I got a pretty good grasp on this? Like God can have everything over here, but I think I'm pretty good here. For some of you, it might be finances. Man, you just had a successful career, and you got money stacked up, and you got plenty to get you through your life and to leave an inheritance. And you're like, yeah, I got you know, that's I took care of that. Like, it's okay. So uh, th- that that's that might be an area for you. For others, I don't I don't know what it what it is. But identify that area because that area is going to reveal pride, and then begin killing that area through surrender. Begin killing that pride through surrender. Identify what it is, and then begin killing it. Taking that thing, casting it at the feet of Jesus, wrestling down your soul with the promises of God. This won't happen overnight. This won't happen in one prayer session. This won't happen by reading one verse of scripture. Remember, it's going to take a lifetime to learn this. But we can we can start somewhere so that's step number 1 step number 2 is to create time each day this week to calm and quiet your soul so every day for the next week take a little bit of time for some people it might just be a couple minutes for other people it might be a couple hours just take it just take a little bit of time take a deep breath in let it out Close your eyes and maybe even just visualize yourself crawling up into the lap of God. Putting on pause the prayer requests and the needs and the wants. Coming to him with no agenda. Just being with him. Just resting in that place. Being changed by that. I promise you, for some of you, are like, that sounds so boring. And it might sound boring, but man, it is so good and so refreshing for your soul. And I'm telling you that I know a lot of you are older than me. You've been walking with Jesus longer than me. But I've, I had that two months of, of rest time and reflecting and I did this so much. And I'm telling you, it is a game changer. It is life changing. It is so good. And so I, I hope that you would get beyond the, the fun factor and realize just how good it is for your soul to rest in the presence of God. So that's step number two. And then step number three is to invite someone into your experience by telling them of your hope in God. Who is that person in your life that you know you should be having a conversation with, but you've been putting it off? Coworker, co-worker, a neighbor, a family member. You know, I've been in youth ministry for a decade now. And I'm always surprised by how many students don't know their parents' testimonies or their legal guardian's testimonies. We'll have discussion in small groups, and we'll say, hey, something about the parents. How how, how did your parents come to faith? And they're like, I don't know. They just always went to church, and they brought me along. And then so many kids graduate high school not knowing their parents' stories. Those stories are good. They're meant to be shared. So maybe this week, parents, you sit down over dinner with the kids that are sitting next to you right now, and you make a fun meal, and you go around the table And you share your stories about how you came to trust in Jesus. How cool would that be is as you're going around that table, you come across somebody and they're like, I I don't think I ever had that moment. Like I've just always gone to church. I've never actually placed my faith in Jesus. Like what is this? How cool would it be for a parent to capitalize on that moment, share the gospel with their kid, and have God so do a work in their heart that they accept that message and they choose to follow Jesus. And we come in next week and we celebrate that. How awesome would that be? That's what this is all about. For some people, it might be your kids you're sharing with. For other people, again, it's going to be that neighbor or that coworker. Who could it be that you could invite into the experience that you're having with God? Because remember, man, life is not about coming here on Sunday morning, sitting for an hour, and then going out and getting whatever you want done. There is a greater purpose to our life, and we have to be pointing people to Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to get to the end of, the, of our lives and have so many regrets. It is so worth having those conversations with people and inviting them into our experience. We're not accountable for their decisions but we can invite them into it. And so I pray we would do that this week. You know, I really think that the great battle in life is to be fully satisfied and fully content in God alone. But I hope as his people, Cornerstone Church, that we would get to that place. Because I think this church would be changed. I think this city would be changed. I think this state and country would be changed. If we find that contentment in God and then live out of that. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for your goodness and for your great love for us. And that we can come to you and cast all of our fears and our worries and our anxieties at your feet. Because we believe that promise that you care for us. And we just have to look to the cross to realize that. And so, Lord, for the person who's sitting here today that's struggling with believing that you love them, God, I pray that you would show up in their lives in such a powerful way that they can't deny your love and Lord, for those of us who are sitting here who, who uh, we, we just wrestle with that pride and, and we think that we're okay apart from you, even in just small little areas in our life, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate in our hearts those things, those areas, and that we would begin surrendering them over to you. God, that as your people, we would delight in just hanging out with you and coming and sitting on your lap and being comforted by you, being changed by you. So Lord, do a work in our hearts this morning that only you can do so that as we leave this place, we leave changed and more in love with you, Jesus. God, help us not to waste our lives with trivial things, Chasing after goals that ultimately mean nothing. God, give us your heart as we get ready to enter into this city. Help us to live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.